Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Make sure you continue to remind yourself what you enjoy about coaching and why you do it. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. You're now listening to The Coaches Network, a podcast aiming to bring people at the heart of coach and player development together. My name is Coach Yas, a UEFA A licensed, FA Advanced Youth Award and FA Goalkeeper B licensed coach. With over 10 years of experience working in youth football from grassroots right through to Premier League academies, I'm currently operating as an affiliate tutor for the FA alongside working towards a Masters in Performance Football Coaching. Today I'm going to be joined by my co-host and the Coaches Network Analysis Specialist, Coach Ben. Ben is a UEFA A licensed coach who holds the FA Youth Award and a Masters in Sports Coaching with 10 years of experience including working across the male and female youth development pathways alongside a vast experience on individual player and team performance analysis. And as part of our insight series, we'll be joined by a range of individuals working across multiple disciplines within the coaching world in order to explore their journeys and dig deeper into their experiences so that we can leave you with some golden nuggets to help you reach your full potential. Guys, welcome back to another episode of the Coaches Network. My name is Coach Justin. Today I'm joined by a very special guest. I've got Lee Garlic with me. Lee is currently the lead 12 to 14s coach at West Bromwich Albion. How are you, Lee? Hello, mate. Very well, thanks. Nice to catch up again. Definitely. Um, Lee, I'm not going to waste any time. Would you mind letting listeners know a bit about where your coaching journey started and who you are? Um, okay, uh, I'll give the the short, long answer. Um, was realised at a young age I was never going to be um, able to follow the dream of playing football and quite early on recognised that, that maybe coaching would be a route that I'd like to pursue. So um, went down the, the qualifications route at college doing the BTEC in sport and that led me on to university. And I guess one thing that I, I always recommend to to anybody looking to get into coaching, which was a massive help for me, was at a very young age, just volunteered um, at Northampton Town in the community programme and, and local grassroots club, just getting as many hours and, and experiences of either helping, picking up cones or whatever, but just being around more experienced coaches and, and learning. And, and I guess that's what kind of sparked my, my interest in pursuing it a little bit further. Um, so from that, those sort of volunteer roles gradually pro- progressed into some paid work, whether that uh, be that sort of uh, schools and PPA cover after school clubs, breakfast clubs, which I know many of your listeners w- will probably be familiar with. So that was all through Northampton Town <clears throat> and then had a lucky break, really, was was doing some part time, again, voluntary coaching in the academy, working alongside the 15s and 16s um, whilst I was my full-time role actually was um, in the community scheme, sort of overseeing the school's programme, but doing some volunteer work in the evening. And the EPPP came about, which was um, 
sort of the, the Premier League and the, the FA's and, and the EFL's way of regulating academies and the clubs were told they had to have some uh, a set of criteria to follow which meant certain roles became available and the academy manager at the time I'd been um, I'd been around helping and doing some of the sort of more paperwork stuff for the upcoming audits and he said there's a lead YDP role which we need to fill would you be interested um, he said I, I had the relevant qualifications being a B licence at the time and had been to uni and he said what do you think and, and of course for myself a full-time opportunity in football at an academy was, was something I'd always hoped for. So I really did get quite lucky at the time. Um, but then obviously off the back of that, was able to use my experiences and skills, whether that be qualifications, uh, academic stuff, or just the grounding I'd got for a few years in the community and, and managed to, to to hit the ground running, I guess, and, and been very fortunate to stay in the game at academies ever since. Um going from YDP lead to head of coaching at Northampton and, and last year moving to West Brom to, to oversee the 12 to 14. So bit of a bit of a whistle-stop tour there. I did did a few stints in America and Australia, um, but sort of the main bulk has been fortunate for me to, to work through the academy system from from probably 10, 10 years now, I think. So again, put a lot of it down to luck and timing really to get that opportunity. You could say luck in time, but I think a lot of it also comes out of being prepared, wasn't it? Um, I think a lot of coaches, you know, think you know it's very easy to get uh, disheartened when the opportunities don't come up. But I think it's, you know you've you've obviously prepared yourself. I just talked about there. You know, you you weren't just offered a role; you were offered a role because you had the qualifications necessary and some of the experience to go with that uh, when you first got that full time role in the club. Um, now, just you know, things have changed. Obviously, going from Northampton through to West Brom. Would you mind just talking a bit about your time at Northampton, working in the academy, and what that was like? Uh, you know, working in Catsby Club, you know, quite um, at times, you know, you could, you could consider it as being stretched for resources potentially at the Catsby Club. And you know, what what was that like? What were some of the challenges that you faced in, in that environment? And how did you go about dealing with those? Yeah, yeah, no, that that certainly was was how it was. Even even though the E Triple P came in and and increased the number of full time staff at the club, we were still only operating with probably six full time members of staff. That sounds like a lot, but to run a whole hundred twenty plus players, it was it was still quite a lot of work. But as a, at first, it was um, I found it quite difficult spinning all these plates. But when I reflect back on that part of my career I actually think it, it was a blessing because I was very fortunate to be able to myself and Mark Lyons Mark Lyons is, is now at Leicester as pre-academy lead Mark and I started at the same time he came in as foundation phase and a lead and between us we were involved in absolutely everything from writing the academy performance plan or helping with it to driving minibuses to sorting out kit and, and actually it it gave us a real rounded experience of of everything um, so, although at the time it was a challenge, in hindsight it was a it was a really, really, really valid experience because I think it added more strings to my bow. And 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 what with being a coach and working with sometimes quite large pl- numbers of players, but limited pitch size or or equipment resources. Now we were never um, we we didn't go without, but we didn't have the the level of sort of resources that some of the category two or one clubs had, but 
that actually again made us be a little bit more creative or or, or problem solving different ways to to still try and provide a really effective program, which I think we did for our players. And and I actually think sometimes that can be lost at the higher categories that every, you could have everything at your disposal. Whereas you see some of the work at three clubs are doing, they are really having to think outside the box to to be to either cope with the demands that they're they're under or or just to to be a little bit different and I remember speak, bumping into to um Damachichi at what Dan used to work at MK Don so we play him a lot and, and I saw him at St George's Park once when he went to do his role with with the England teams mm. and I asked him how it was going and he he, he said oh, it's it's going really well but it's actually a lot easier on the grass than I thought it would be and I, and I said what do you mean by that and he said well I've got everything at my disposal. Whereas when I was at MK Dons, I, I might only have a third of a pitch or a quarter of a pitch and only one goal. Whereas now he's working at national teams. He said he can have perfect numbers. He can have any pitch size he want. And he said he, and that stuck with me because it made me realise that actually my time at Northampton, it forced me to be quite creative and, and solve problems in a different way. Whereas maybe it had had I not had that conversation with Dan, I might not have realised. So, yeah, I, I think that's, it was a real positive for me. Don't get me wrong, it was a struggle at times because you want to do that. There's lots of ideas and especially being young and fresh and keen and I wanted to do loads of, of things, but sometimes they were just out of, out of our reach. Um, so we had to park a few things and say, look, we're not ready for that yet. But um, yeah, definitely encourage if, <clears throat> if anyone has the opportunity to, to work at, at that kind of level, it, you'll be surprised with the quality of the players and, and coaches that are in that level. But it does it does challenge you, and I think that's only healthy as a coach. Definitely, I think you know it resonates with me a, a conversation that I had with uh, Mark Sampson. He talked about you know his time at Bristol City um, before he took, he took the England Lionesses job, and he, you know you realise all of a sudden that he had a person doing the job for, for every single job he had to do in the role before that. Yeah. about 30 different roles as a coach in that in his previous position now all of a sudden you've got 30 different staff doing each of those jobs so he could just focus on the coaching aspect of it himself um, and you know it just it just I guess the question is now you know um, now at West Brom would, would you say that you're in a position where maybe because maybe you might be more staff more resources more available to you that you find yourself a bit more laser focused on specific elements of your role um, I think I think you can be. Yeah, I think what is what is really good about about um, being a, a club like West Brom now is obviously that the, 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 there's more more knowledge in the building, so you can have those conversations on a regular basis that check and challenge you or different ideas that you might not have thought of when there's only maybe six or seven of you in a room. There's only six or seven ideas, whereas now if there's thirty. Yeah, sometimes that can be a challenge because there's you've got to find, come to an agreement. But actually with some of the guys that I'm fortunate enough to work with now have been in the game for a very, very long time, worked with lots of players, have been at Cat 1 level for a very long time. So it's great to be able to pick their ideas and, and learn from them. But like you said, yeah, I, I can. I'm not having to be a sports scientist. Of course, there's there's parts of the role you still need to keep an eye on that. But I can focus just on the on the coaching and the players a little bit more now, which is which is enjoyable. Um, but like I say, I, I've got that experience to be able to 
hopefully draw upon and just add a little bit extra from from the experiences that I've been through when we didn't have as many resources as we do now. Yeah, I think you know within that, then what would you say are some of the key things that you've picked up from other staff that you've been maybe to you know if you had to go back into an into an environment like Northampton now that you think you'd be able to implement within your work to kind of support the players around the other some some of the other multidisciplinary stuff around maybe potentially other four corners. If that makes sense. Um, yeah, so I, I think, and and it was something that we we were moving much more towards at Northampton, but. Now, what what I really have seen across Cat Ones and especially at West Brom as well is a lot of the the physical work is a lot more aligned to the game and involves specific elements of the game. That the physical and the so the physical development is not too separate from the football element. Even if they're doing uh, gym or, or sports science sessions, they'll be closely linked to aspects of the game and. And the staff there are, are really, really good at educating the players on why it's important. And the, like the sports science are using the footballs a lot as well. And it, it, it's it's a lot closer. It's not quite as separate as maybe in the past it's had to be. Um, so that's that's really, I think, vital, especially for players to get the buy-in, is that if you think of the real elite players, that they just want to play football and they want to become better at playing football so they can reach the highest level. So... No matter what they're doing, I think it's important they understand why. And you see the, the top players are, are just curious all the time. Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Because they just want to be better all the time. Mm. So if you can justify that and they can easily see the transferables onto the pitch and onto their game, I think you'll get the buy-in from them. And as soon as you've got the buy-in, they're going to reap the rewards a lot quicker. Um, so I think that's definitely something that I've noticed it's... And obviously, how how the sports science guys use data to back things up—that was that's gone to another level. Obviously, the equipment that they use, GPS and all that kind of stuff—it's it's beyond me, if I'm honest. But I, I definitely I like the way that it complements the football. Sometimes it can be they can almost battle, can't they? Science versus coaching can sometimes be a bit of a battle. Whereas now it's. There's a good blend at West Brom, and I like how the, the the sports science staff and the coaches we all work together to get the best for the players. So that's that's really important, I think. Definitely, definitely. I think you know certainly for me, the way I look at it is you know these people have you know just as we have gone through our maybe a coaching qualifications, these people have gone through the qualifications and within their industries and their disciplines. And I think if we were right, you know, within our own rights, we'd like to be considered experts, and we should also consider those as experts too. Uh, yeah, definitely. You know, the, yeah, in that respect, there's other experts in the room. Why aren't we using them? Um, is the question I always throw to coaches. You know, I just want to take you back to your role a little bit at Northampton. Obviously, when we met, you were a head of coaching. Um, would you mind just letting the listeners know a little bit about what that entailed and what that looked like on the day to day? Yeah, yeah. So um, again, the head of coaching was a role implemented uh, as part of the Triple P. Um, sort of rules and it was it was oversaw or governed or and funded by the Premier League so it was to have a member of staff at every club whose sole purpose was to ensure the continued development of the staff within the club mm-hmm. um, so then my role I guess the way I used to explain it to people is I was coaching the coaches um, the coaches had to work with the players I had to also work with the players but via the coaches so my role was to um provide feedback and action plans for the coaches around their personal development because 
um, what you're starting to find now, especially as the cycle has gone on a little bit, a lot of coaches in academies have the qualifications they need. So once you usually, in, if you're a part-time coach uh, in an academy, you probably get to B license, maybe even advanced youth or A license if you're able to get on the course. But once you've done those, there's probably not really anywhere you can go. So you might have some coaches who've worked in the academy system several years, done their B license a while ago, who weren't getting any development as such. Um, and I guess that, yes, they could go off and, and do their own research and, and there's loads of material out there. But the role of the head of coaching was to try and ensure not only that the curriculums and what was delivered was beneficial for the players, but to, to give the coaches bespoke personal plans for their um, continued development. So my role was really to do that, um, jump in and support the coaches and, and provide them some feedback and film their sessions and sit down and plan out their journey on where they want to go and how they want to become better at coaches yeah. always ultimately to help produce better players at our football club and, and give the players a better experience while they're there. So it's really interesting for me because obviously I went to university and enjoyed the sort of scientific side behind coaching. So yeah. when that opportunity came up, it, it was it was quite exciting for me and it was a brand new role and the Premier League had a, a course for the heads of coaching, which it was, it was, I only, I said, because of my situation, I only did two years of that course, but it was, it was a bit personal development for, for me as well. So I, I really, really enjoyed that. There was aspects that were, were really took me out of my comfort zone and developing communication skills and, and mentoring skills. And, and I thought it was, a, it was a really exciting role and I enjoyed my time whilst I was doing it. Um, and I think it's continued to evolve from there. And you see some of the work that heads of coaching are doing across the clubs now is fantastic. And you can see the coaches are are really getting some benefit personally around the bespoke programme that, that is for them, rather than just, I got on my A licence or I didn't get on my A licence, so I have to wait till next year, maybe, before I can even do some development. So... Um, yeah, I enjoyed that part of, of my career, to be honest. And, you know, just you kind of build on that. You also spent time as a FA coach mentor, didn't you? So how how would you say that differs to the role of what you were doing as a head of coaching, um, given that it's obviously now going from an EPP environment to, I guess, uh, a more predominantly grassroots environment? Yeah, so I I, I initially took the, the opportunity to be an FA mentor to help me in my role as a as head of coaching. So I'd never I'd never done any coach education as such or, or supported coaches before. Um, I got the opportunity to do the role of head of coaching and I thought, how could I get some more practice at coaching coaches? And the coach mentor role was, was open in our, our county. So I, I went for that and selfishly wanted to use it as an opportunity to just get more experience of coaching coaches. Um, and yet... It was it was different in the sense of the, the the level was slightly less. Obviously, working with the coaches were working with grassroots players, and some of the coaches were not as experienced as what was in the academy. But it was very similar in the sense that I was still developing people, um, and it was it was really fascinating. And I, I, it's such a shame to see that the mentoring program come to an end actually, because it it was doing some fantastic work. And and I always say I learned probably more from the coaches that I mentored across the grassroots game than I think I could have ever taught them. There's some unbelievable work going on out there and, and not just just the, the sort of X's and O's stuff. I mean, the way that some of these 
parent volunteers that get dragged in to run a team, the, the way that they're dealing with their young players and, and doing all this, everything single-handedly, it's, it's inspirational. So I took a lot of enthusiasm and, and inspiration off of those guys and, and uh, yeah, it's such a shame that that's come to an end. But the good thing is that there's so many things out there, such as this podcast, that coaches and, and, and anyone who's working in football that want to just get a little bit of advice or just stimulate some thought can get. So I hope it comes back in the future because it, it was such a, such a powerful programme. Definitely. I just want to take you back to your own journey a little bit now. And, you know, just looking at some of the things that you've been through and just want to you know, know within the journey if you've had any major influences possibly in the form of mentor for yourself. And, you know, if so, what was the biggest lesson you kind of learned from them? Um, yeah, I was speaking to someone about this recently, actually. And, and I think at the time, I probably didn't know it or that, that, that those people were having such a, an impact on me. So when I first started at Northampton, a gentleman called Trevor Gould, he was academy manager. And Trevor had a, a long career of playing and coaching and managing. And, and he was, he gave me my opportunity and, and, he, and he let myself and Mark do things and experience things and make mistakes and give bits of advice here and there. But one of the biggest things that, I've now realised, looking back on on one of some of the things that he taught me, were were not just around football, but how he how he how he treated the players and and his his sort of his values, I guess that he so things like whenever it came to um, the, unf- the the really difficult part of our job was having to tell some players that they weren't they're not able to to gain a contract for the following year. Trev would always make sure no matter what was going on in his in his work life, he was always there in that meeting in person and would, would do that, have that conversation and look the boy and the family face to face. And what he also did was he took that sort of not pressure, but he, he took it off of me. I was a young, young um, coach and working with the 16 some boys get scholarships some boys don't and whenever it was bad news Trevor would always say this is my my decision um, and in, uh, sometimes he'd always said he's even said Lee said yes but I'm going to have to make the, the call and say no and 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 then there's other times when it was a, a positive meeting he's always say I want you to do this when I want you to give the and actually I, I didn't really know at the time what he was doing but looking back he was, he, he, I guess he, he had, he had his sort of, his eye out for me and he allowed me to, to, to do, and, and it protected me a little bit. And, and I think the way he did it, it wasn't condescending or, or anything like that, but it was really, it was really nice looking back on, on how he, how he managed that situation. And at the time I didn't know, and maybe that's just because that's the person he is, but, as you go on and you, you experience more things yourself and you think that's actually a trait that I'd like to continue. The fact that just the, the respect of looking someone in the eye, being honest, the, the words he used, the way he spoke, um, those kind of things, I think now I'm realising that are more important in leadership and coaching than, than just X's and O's or what kind of practice you use. And, and that was a, now I know, was a real big impact and something that I'd like to try and, try and sort of copy as I go through my career um, and then 
really fortunate to to work with people like Matty Joseph and Ryan May, people like that who who were FA youth coach developers and obviously had loads of experience of delivering and, and developing coaches and just the way they looked at the game and some of the ways that they worked with other coaches are again like like all coach I just try to copy and steal some of the things they were doing and been really fortunate that been able to see or, or work with some some really experienced people and the good thing is is so many people are so willing to share and help yeah. and I think I've just just by asking or or not being afraid to to put yourself out there it is there's a lot of good people out there but at the time maybe because you because I was so wrapped up in what I was doing and my role and this, I didn't probably notice it until a few years later when I look back and go, oh, actually, that that was really important and that's played a big part on my, my career. And I think and unless you take time to think back and reflect, you, you might not know who has been an influence on you at that time. Definitely. You know, so just, you know, just talking to that little bit, you know, within your role as a head of coaching, I'm sure a lot of that, that reflection was, you know, was a key piece to supporting the coaches in their development. Would you mind going through some strategies in, I guess that you've you've implemented or supported coaches with in terms of how they can go about doing some of that reflection? Yeah, do you know do you know one of the most powerful parts of reflection that again I found is, and I'm sure you you must have done it, or well, probably not now with the current circumstance, but you finish a session at eight pm, and at eight forty five you still stood by your car with two or three coaches chatting about whatever happened. Yeah, and it's so informal, but actually that sort of immediate brain dump or getting things off your chest like it's so powerful I think there's a lot of um, research around the importance of reflection and I think some people can get bogged down with thinking I have to sit down with a pen and paper and I have to write this whereas I, I don't think it's it has to be as as sort of st- um, structured as that I think it can just be what you want you ring your wife on your way on the way home and you're like oh some rubbish session tonight. Like she, she doesn't really know what you're talking about, but you're still reflecting on it. You're getting your your emotions and feelings off at the moment, and and I think that that's a really important part of the coaching process is just to to talk about how you feel straight after a session because you usually know if it's good or it's bad. Um, and and I think if you've got other people who are there who are willing to listen or, or challenge you. And, and sort of prod a little bit more. That's really, really powerful. It doesn't always, for me, have to be sit down on your session plan and write some notes down. I know one of the things, Ryan, when, when I moved to West Brom, Ryan May was head of coaching and he used to try and encourage us, as soon as we finished the session or the last five minutes in the session, pull your phone out and do a voice note and just speak for two or three minutes around the session and what you thought. And well, I weren't too happy with this bit because maybe my area size was a bit big, but well, the game worked really well because I played 11 v 9 and the 9 sat in a deep block or something like that. But he said, just trying to get, do a bit of a brain dump, even if it's the last five minutes while the lads are playing a game, just that can can be part of the reflective process. Um, because I think, you know yourself, you finish late at night, some people have to drive a long way home. You're not then going to stop and do a, an active reflection, but the process of reflecting is really important. I think we all do it. It's just finding a way that, that suits you. And I, I try to encourage the, the coaches to, I think if, if it's, if it's not seen as work, extra work, I think people will do it. So it might just be 
just have, let's just have ten minutes while we're grabbing, we're putting the footballs away in the cupboard. Definitely. How did that? How did that practice go? What did you think? Oh, this was terrible tonight. I tried it like this; it was rubbish. Like that's still reflecting, isn't it? And I think as long as then the coaches are trying to learn from those those bits of feedback, that's that's going to be positive for you as a coach. Definitely, I think both we can both agree that they never, even if we want to set ten minutes aside, never really is ten minutes, is it? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Um, just moving forward now, you know, into your current role now, would you mind just talking to us a little bit about what that entails, you know, working as a lead for teams, uh, 12 to 14 rather, um, how much of that is, you know, working with the players and how much of that is still an element of, I guess, supporting the coaches within the phase? Yeah, so moving to a Category 1 academy, there's there's more roles, obviously. there's We're fortunate to have um, a full-time member of staff for every age group we, we have. So um, Matt Layton is the lead YDP. So Matt oversees the 12 to 16s programme. And my role is to support Matt um, within that. And I take responsibility for the 12s to 14s. Matt focuses a little bit more day-to-day on the 15s and 16s. And then we have, so I take, I'm lead coach of the under 14s. And then we have Chris Foreman is a 13s coach. Lawrence Roberts is a 12s coach. So we're very fortunate that, We've got full-time staff at every age group. So in terms of managing the, the, my section of the phase, day-to-day basis, it, it doesn't take a lot because we've got the, the coaches who are responsible for their age groups. I guess mine and Matt's role is just to sort of keep the plate spinning and oversee the, the maybe bigger picture to work, linking in with the foundation phase for any players stepping up and, and then all reporting to the head of coaching to make sure that our programmes and the way we're delivering our syllabuses are in line with what they want. So I'm really fortunate that a lot of my focus can be as a coach again, which is was one of the attractions for me, stepping back into a coaching role. As head of coaching, I wasn't coaching a team as much as I found I'd like to. So now I'm a lot of my focus can be on my players, on my team, on my sessions, ready for, for the next session or the game and, and just going back in that player development mode which I which I really really enjoy so and we, we can just talk football all day we can sit there around the table and pick each other's brains that whole reflective thing and bounce ideas off each other it's it's a really good environment to be in and we're fortunate that sometimes I can be supporting and coaching the 16s or the academy manager even gives us opportunity to go up and be around the 18s and 23s which is which is fascinating I'm really really lucky to be able to to get more and more coaching hours with, with high quality players so um, yeah the, the, the sort of logistical side of it kind of runs itself because we've got a lot of staff who are, who are very professional and very experienced so I can focus on coaching most of my, my energy is towards that mm. you know, Just to kind of just to build on that what would you say are some of the you know you talked about having an environment where it is uh, more collaborative advanced you know cat one environment with loads of resources loads of staff available to you you know, the time, you know, for those that maybe don't know, obviously you're working with some of the best players in the country at now at, at that stage. Um, how would, what would you say, Robert, beyond those things, help you to stay inspired and keep motivated for your best? Um, oh, that's a really good question, to be honest. Um, I, I take pride in, oh, sorry, I take a lot of fulfilment in seeing other people do well so I think that's why I think I'd like to think that's why we all coach because we want to help others um it's not there's no no personal accolades in that other than 
helping see someone achieve something it's like a it's like a fulfillment that's that's really um it's really quite strong and when when you get that it's it's a nice feeling to know you've played a part in helping someone step towards their dreams or or even achieve their dreams if you're you're seeing them make a debut or something so uh, I, I really that's that's why we do it i think still being around football it's I'm coaching players who are far better than I ever was. So I'm almost, I'm experiencing things that had I not gone into coaching, I'd, I'd have never experienced. Um, it, so, and, and just maybe this lockdown has made me realise that actually you, you do, because you see a lot of these the young players a lot, you do form quite good bonds with them and, and you kind of, they, they brighten up your day and, you know the kids are funny, aren't they? They're really funny. They do they do some amazing things. Some of the things you see them do blow your mind, but it, it's quite refreshing and, and rewarding to to just be involved in in young people's lives, especially when they're they're able to do something that they love three, four, five times a week. So that's that's what I like. I like a sense of helping and, and giving back and seeing people experience. I also like like challenging and helping people overcome challenge, um, seeing how I can try and trip them up and watch them struggle and, and the sort of, like I said, that scientific element behind coaching around how do you how do you make people fail and, and bounce back and figure things out. I like, I like that aspect. It's a challenge. How can I set something up that's going to make them struggle but it's still achievable so they feel like they've moved forward? Um, I think that's... I think that's a really big part of teaching and coaching, and I, I enjoy that challenge of trying to put things together that are going to do that. Definitely, I think you know you talked there about you know, what really kind of stands out is just being passionate about what you're doing, um, and that, that's just that alone is enough to drive your drive your motivation. You know, do you know what else there, Matt? As well, I, I think. Sorry to jump in. No, there. Go for it. I don't know what you thought. There's also a part of me is like. There was a, a point in my career where I thought about doing something else when I thought maybe trying to, whether it had been for jobs in the past and not got it. And I thought, what about stepping outside of football? And, I, and then I suddenly thought, I've never done anything else. I've been very fortunate that when I left school or university, I, I've worked coaching has, has been all I've ever done. It's the only thing I've ever done, whether that be um, PPA schoolwork or academy work or I was fortunate to go to America or Australia and, and earn money out there whilst doing coaching and sometimes a bit of a fear mate like well if I didn't have coaching what would I do everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger McNuggets or McCrispy Sandwich but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day that crispy fish that savoury tartar sauce that melty cheese that pillowy bun yeah you get it every time and if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So it's like, yeah, it put a lot of time and effort into trying to get qualifications. And, and I say I've been lucky to get on certain qualifications because of the roles I've had. And I'm very fortunate that there is part of me that thinks, well, what would I do? Maybe teaching, but then if you're going to teaching, you have to start your qualifications again. So there's a little part of you It's kind of like the unknown. If I didn't do coaching, what would I do? Now, yes, I'd probably have skills to transfer, but I, I say the reason I keep doing it is it's, it's all I know and it's all I think I'm, 
I'm really invested in. So just want to keep going as long as I can and, and see see where it takes me. Definitely. Yeah, just kind of, just on, you know, we're talking there about some of the positives and, and why you do what you do. And I was just curious, you know, you, you're working in football for a few years now, um, worked in both, the, you know, the EPPP with, with the elite side of the game, if, if that's how you wish to view it, and obviously the grassroots side of the game, especially as a mentor and whatnot. What would you say one of the biggest bugbears is when it comes to coaching, you know, from your observations? Um, one of the it's something the longer I've been in it, and as my personal life starts to change, you realize the sacrifices you have to make. Now, that might be so obviously, youth football is played at evenings and weekends, so there's most jobs in the country on Monday to Friday, whereas football is weekends and evenings predominantly, even if you're full time. I could, I could be in the office all day, but the sessions are at night. So there's an element of sacrifice there, whether it's unless your wife has a similar working shift pattern or your partner, there's probably evenings where you're apart or there'll be weekends where you're apart. And I'm fortunate that and my most, they say that they're behind every coach is a understanding partner, <laughs> yeah. but um, it's all I've ever done. And, and my wife hasn't known anything different, but, I can see why some people start to to question, especially if if you if you have a quote unquote proper job and then you coach part time. You work in your nine to five, then you've got your evenings and you've got your Sundays and your Saturdays, and there's a lot of your free time you're giving up and investing in this, which is great because it's it's a hobby that we a lot of people have turned into into jobs or or just continue as a hobby. But I think the the hours and the, the sort of the sacrifice, especially if you have a young family, it's it's really difficult. Um, but the good thing is now, and I think this whole um, situation we've just been through has proven that we can be more flexible and you can work from home and sometimes and, and our academy manager at Northampton and, and now at West Brom are really understanding and, and flexible with how your days can look. But there's no getting away from the fact that Evenings and weekends, that's that's going to keep you away from your loved ones a lot of the season. Um, and then also, it's I've been very fortunate, but one of the things is access to courses. And it's really difficult because to work in an academy, you need this specific qualification, but the supply doesn't always meet the demand. So especially when I was head of coaching or you see some excellent grassroots coaches who are level two would be amazing in a, in an academy loads of skills but because they don't have that piece of paper that says be licensed that they're almost unemployable and it's a real shame that that we can't sort of bridge that gap because I think there's some there's some great coaches who are not able to to get where they want right now just because of access to the courses and I understand it that you can't run courses for thousands of people every year I get it but that's I, I, I say I'm really fortunate, yeah, but there's a lot of just on that. Though, excellent. Do you, not, do you not feel that there's um, a flaw in some ways in the way that the, I guess the, the the courses are vetted in terms of the, the candidates that end up being on the course? Uh, in you know, there's, there's a lot of coaches who are probably well qualified and you know meet all the eligible criteria to kind of get on the course um, in terms of prerequisites, and then you know you get some coaches who are maybe. Who have recently passed their 
you know, if, if it's a level two going onto a B license or reaching past their B license going onto an A license. And then, you know, there's the whole element of as well when, you know, clubs are hiring people who maybe aren't quite qualified in regards to where the EEEE require them to be. And then they get, you know, they get given a role and then they have to be prioritised and fast-tracked through some of the qualifications. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a real difficult one, isn't it? When, obviously, the, the Premier League... Um, stipulate the qualifications and the ruling for EPPP, yet it's the FA who run the courses. So it's it's really difficult that it's not aligned, isn't it? I, again, I was I benefited from it. I when I took when I got offered the role, all you needed was a B license and a degree. Whilst I was then in the role of lead YDP, the ruling came in that you had to have an A in advanced youth. So because of that, and thankfully the club were willing to to fund that because. I was not in a position to pay for it because the courses are not cheap. Um, but because I was in the role and the ruling changed, I got on. Now, after that rule, it's really hard to get on unless you're in a club. But you can't be in a club unless you have the, the qualification. So it's it's a really strange, strange dynamic. And, and like you said, sometimes it just comes down to, to to who's able to pay. Sometimes it's just down to luck. If I guess if there was three Northampton Town coaches on the previous course they might not allow three on the next one it might have to be a, a, it's a really difficult way isn't it because but then what what I think there should be more leeway in is like I said earlier if there's a level two coach who's worked in the grassroots game for he might have took his team from under nines through to under 16s and he's got loads of experience then why can't they be in and around it and, and learn enough heads of coaching and other coaches because Ultimately, you want the best coaches in place, don't you? Not you can you can have a level two coach who, without a B license, who can be a better coach than someone with a B license on the grass, can't you? Um, but I think there needs to be. And listen, the, the, the clubs are always going to have to be careful because, especially at Category Three clubs, that these clubs rely on the support of the Football League and the Premier League to run their academies, don't they? So you, you can't just go and do what you think's best when there's a set of rules in place. But I do think, and I know Rob Williams at Shrewsbury has, has got some great initiatives with bringing local coaches in to, to support and maybe as extra roles, so not fulfilling specific roles, but finding that link with, with grassroots because just like player succession, there needs to be coach succession. And I think, I said, the grassroots game has got some fantastic people out there who, who have got loads to offer. It's just, I say that the, the 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 qualification or that piece of paper is sometimes preventing them do the work at the level that they're they're certainly capable of, um, and and I think hopefully I, I know the the county FAs are, are running B licenses again now and and again uh, it's difficult with what's just happened courses changing but hopefully they'll be more accessible for for more people so that that doesn't become the reason someone doesn't get a chance. Definitely. You know, you know, just, you kind of talk there about some of the things that have really helped you, obviously, you know, landing that role before some of the changes came in, in terms of, you know, the requirements of a job, then getting the support from the club in terms of trying to get through that A licence and whatnot. Now, what would you say are some of the, you know, if we, if we move across to maybe some of the challenges and some of the, hardships in your journey what would you say is one of the biggest challenges you've had and you know, is it something you've been able to deal with and if so how have you gone about dealing with that um 
Oh, that's a good question, that one, mate. So, do you know, one of the things is always questioning yourself, because when you're working in player development, I guess you're always sort of trying to guess the future, aren't you? And you can never do that. And so whenever, especially early in my career, if 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 you don't, if, if it's bad news for a player and he, and he doesn't stay at your football club, um, you then start to wonder if you've done enough to help them. Um, maybe that's just the nature of us as coaches. We're thinking, have we let that player down? I, I really did struggle with that at first. I still don't like it, but I've now got more experience to, to shape what I think is somewhat of a, a helpful journey for players. And no matter what, players are are always going to leave your football club, whether it's after one year and they're not quite where they need to be or after, whether they've played for the first team for 15 years, they're going to leave at some stage. Um, but I found it really difficult at first with taking it personally that a, a player has not reached the level that ultimately I was helping him try and reach. Um, and I think through going through that cycle and experiencing it and, and also seeing that and understanding that players who... Are a no at one club, then go on and have really successful careers anyway. And sometimes that bump in the road is just what they need to kick on. And, and just understanding that not every player's journey is going to look exactly the same. You, everything that I do is with, or any coach does, is with good intention and just believing in that and trying to be as honest and supportive throughout and after. So if a player hasn't had a positive result at your football club, how are you still going to support them? And have you got a good relationship to still be, they can still ring you and ask for some help? Or, or if you bumped into them in the street a couple of years later, you can still have a chat. Um, and I think that's something that I've come to terms with and, and better to deal with because, because of just going through that cycle more times. But at first, I found that really difficult because... I was under the impression my job is to help this boy go from 16 to get a scholarship. Uh, not everyone can do that. And sometimes the, the players that you... And also I've learned I'm going to get it wrong sometimes. And again, you can't predict the future. So it, there's nothing better than if I say no to a player or we say no to a player and then a year's time he's he's making you eat humble pie. That's That's a great thing, really. You don't mind that. It's just when you just, I found it really difficult at first to have I done in, could I have helped that player a little more? Could I have challenged him more? Could I have spent more time on this? Or, and that was, that was really difficult. But, but was there any particular moments where you did feel that that was a case, you know, if you could look back at some of the players you dealt with? Uh, yeah, but... yeah, there's, 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 there's one example and I'm sure Mark Lyons, again, if you ever speak to Mark, he might, might join in with, with this one. But there's, boy, he's in Northampton Town's first team now. It's called Sean McWilliams. I think Sean must be 19 or 20 now. Broke in the first team at a, at a good age and, and made some appearances at <clears throat> as a second-year scholar. And, and we, I worked with Sean from when he was sort of 14 or 15 on and off and 16 and Mark had him through the youth team. We did a bit of work. Anyway, he, Mark, uh, Sean came on in one game. He played as a four and he, he received the ball. The centre-halves had split. He sort of dropped between the centre-backs a little bit. And he, I hope he doesn't mind me saying this. I'm sure he'll be fine. But he, he received it. His touch was heavy or something. He lost the ball. Opposition broke through, scored, and we lost the game. One nil went. And I, I sat in the stands and I saw him on the floor and you could see he was devastated. He'd just come on about 15, 10 minutes to go, something like that. 
and he was ultimately responsible for for conceding the ball, losing the ball for for the goal that we lost the game. And I just saw him there on the pitch, and you could see he was devastated. And the first thing I thought was, did we do enough? Did we give him enough challenges or or uh, problems or experiences during his career to be able to cope with this moment right now? Or did we, because he's one of the strongest in the group, did we just allow him to, to cruise and stay as the best? Or did we put bumps in the road and, and did we trip him up enough so that now he's experiencing it, he's got some things to fall, to like draw from? Mm. Um, and I, I like to, hopefully we did. Again, we, we may not know because we never know what Sean was thinking at the time, but that made me realise straight away, right, this is when it counts. That on the first team pitch, this cannot be the first time he's ever experiencing this. He's got to have something to draw on. Otherwise, we haven't done our job properly. Like I say, he was always one of the top top players in his group, physically, technically. But that made me straight away think, could, could, I have, could we have armoured him a little bit more for this moment right now? Um, again, we'll never know, but that came to my head and and I, I think going forward now, it's something I've learned. Even the the players who look like they're coasting or finding it easy, at some point we've got to break them down a little bit, it, we, we, so to speak, mm. and make them have to fight and struggle and fail and, you know, sort of have their back against the wall so that when they do get in that elite environment, they've got a few things in their toolbox to use so that they can be successful or bounce back. Um and and I said that was that it was just it was like a it was like an eye open, like a light bulb moment just watching it in the moment thinking have I done enough and and seeing him sort of stand up and put his shoulders back and yeah you could see he was a little bit teary eyed and it, it hurt him because it was a boyhood club and felt a lot of responsibility for what just happened but that was that was a real eye opener for me as a coach and, and the first time I'd ever experienced that so yeah. definitely you know, you talk here about sometimes as coaches we can overlook some of the little things and that we could be doing but I think it's definitely you know in these moments where you start to reflect back and look at some of the impact that or rather look at what you have done and maybe what you could have done differently you know hindsight's a beautiful thing yeah um, yeah you know, on, on... what about you have you have you got any have you got one like that um, have you you know if you if I, if I have to think back I think there's probably been times where in the moment I've been harsh with players not maybe not taking into consideration how they how they felt in certain moments or how my words were or how my behaviors come across to them um i think one thing one thing i definitely i definitely did uh, i guess pick up on and I, you know and i say and I, I say this all the time one of my biggest learning curves was about i want to say about 4 years ago when i worked with a uh, i was i was in i was working with a university team um, and I was tasked with, uh, I guess, building a coaching team, and you know, bring up, brought three other members of staff on with me. And it was then when I first realised actually how important it is to work alongside, or how challenging it can be, rather, to work alongside other coaches consistently on a regular basis. Um, and there was things, there were times where maybe I'd done certain things and said certain things that had a certain impact on players, but. I, I guess gave permission to my co-coaches in those in that moment to kind of pull me up on things if they felt that it wasn't quite right. Whereas I think what tends to happen in a lot of environments, you get you know you get someone who's maybe a lead coach or someone or just you know either 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 party within a coaching partnership or a coaching group that 
they don't really challenge each other sometimes. I think it's, it's sometimes being open. And I think I was I was at the time going through a transition and I really wanted to kind of take myself to my next level and to stretch myself outside my comfort zone. So I had to kind of become allow myself to become a bit more vulnerable in that respect and allow people to kind of call me out without them feeling as if they were going to step on anyone's toes, if that makes sense. Yeah. Were they able to do that or did it take them um, some time? No, I, th- I think they were able to. There was a little bit of resistance at the start, but I think the fact that I'd, I'd actually had to put the... I'd actually have to take the first step almost and allow them to or give them permission to do it without feeling away about it, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, yeah. I think that probably helped soften the blow. And it was almost like, well, no, you've given me permission to do this. So at that point, it's near, well, uh, we've caught me bang for rights there. You know, what can I say about that? Um, now, I, you know, I've, I've now got, I'm now in a position where if they say something to me in those moments and I go against it, now, now I'm, now I'm, you know, putting my credibility and my integrity on the line. Yeah, um, so yeah, I think yeah. In those moments, there, I think it's, it's sometimes it, for me it was a very humbling time, but there were certain moments where, you know, I was I was pulled up on in that respect. But I think the key thing is the, the people that working around me at the time is we were all very clear in that our vision was congruent with one another. Um, we may have gone about getting there in different ways, but we were very clear on what we wanted to achieve and how we wanted to get there. Uh, so I think that definitely helps. I think, so, you know, coming back to your example with players now, I think I, I personally can't think of any particular moment that stand out to me where maybe that's been the case. I'm sure there has been players where if I if I was to kind of maybe speak to them now and have conversations, and they'd be like, "Well, you know what? Yes, didn't really appreciate when that happened, or you know, I, I, I wish things were different on this occasion." Um, but we can't please everyone, can we? No, I think- no. Like, like I said, I think as long as you do everything with good intentions. I think definitely. it's <laughs> you, you. You gotta you. You can you can sleep at night, can't you? Definitely. That. You know, just just on that note, then you know, we, we, you know, speaking about you know reflection and looking at hindsight. You know, hindsight is a beautiful thing. And I guess the next, next question, as we start to wind down now, you know, if you had an opportunity to go back and speak to Lee Garlic at the start of his journey, you know, he's working in a volunteer at Northampton Town in the community community project. Knowing what you know now, having been through what you know now and working with the players and working with coaches as you have, what was one message that you'd give yourself back then, if you could? Oh, I think, I think looking back, I would, I would say make sure you continue to remind yourself what you enjoy about coaching and why you do it. Because... Coaching was always a hobby for me at the start and then it, I was lucky enough to turn it into my career. When something goes from being a hobby to a job, different pressures come and, and you start to maybe see that thing that, that you love slightly differently. So I'm not saying like that, but there there was times where where I would get well, like caught up and pressured and stressed with this, that and the other and, and then... I've coached the session and, and I come home and I'm like, oh, that uh, did I enjoy that? I didn't have the the buzz and the enjoyment that I used to have because there were so many other things whirling around. So I think it would be, I, I just keep reminding myself and I'm, I'm a lot better at it now mm. to take stock and, and just appreciate what you got and, and what you're fortunate to do on a, on a regular basis and, and just stay connected with what made you sort of, want to chase this career and, and fall in love with this career in the first place. Um, and then also that it don't really matter if you get it wrong. Like you, 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 
well, I'm sure you'd be the same. When you look, you find, I was clearing out some stuff the other day and you find old session plans and you look at it and you go, what was I thinking there? Did I really deliver that? Or Yeah. <laughs> it's like, but again, at the time you had good intentions. The players didn't know and you don't know the context behind it, but it doesn't matter if it goes wrong and don't be afraid. I'd say just, you don't have to be perfect it, it, by, all, by all means, as long as you're, your intentions are good and you're you're trying to help. I think I think there's, you shouldn't worry too much about about it. Mm. No, definitely. I think you know definitely. The first thing is is the is the intention. If you've got the and I think if you've got if we have got the right intentions to begin with, then you'll always find a way. You'll always find yeah. a way, and I think you know, yeah. that, that's that's the main thing. Now, kind of just you know, kind of take you back to yourself a little bit now. You know. We're currently working at West Brom. I'm sure you're very happy where you are at this moment in time. But what, where, where do you see yourself going next? What's next for Lee Garlic? Oh, um, so I've always, I've always wanted to to challenge myself with with the best players possible, um, and and I sort of, I, I, I really enjoy that 12 to 16 bracket. I think I'm, I'm quite well suited to that, but I've never really had the opportunity to 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 work at, at an older age group than that. I've worked with 18s in the past, but on a, on a prolonged basis. So that's definitely a, a future goal I'd like just to, to see how I do. Uh, and if that's like right now, I think I'm well suited to 12 to 16s, but that's all I've ever done. So working with 18s or, or one day working in the senior level would, would be excellent. I'd love that. Obviously that brings different pressures up. If I'm honest, I don't know if I'd want to be a first team manager I think I'd maybe rather be, my character might be more suited to a, a coach working in a first team environment. Um, but again, I'd, I'd love to, to challenge myself with 18s on a, on a regular basis and, and work towards that slightly more competitive side and try and help players break into first teams. Um, that, that's football, football side of things, obviously, for, for me. Outside of football, I'm expecting my first child later this year, so that's really exciting. I guess Congrats. that's probably going to be my, my, my thank you, mate. That's probably my biggest coaching role, isn't it? Ever I got to try. Yeah, and, I mean, uh... I'll tell you, I'll tell you one thing for certain. You know, when you have, when you do have a child, I think you it changes you. It changes you definitely does. You know, I mean, I've, I'm you know thankful enough and fortunate enough to have two. Uh, I've got a little girl and a little boy. Um, completely changed me, and even even as a, even as a coach, you start to look at things differently as well. Um, Here's a question there. Does does has your coaching background impacted your parent skills or how you parent? Is there anything from sort of football yes, and coaching that you took into your, your role as a parent? Hundred and ten percent and it's that uh that element of not always telling the child what to do. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. letting them just you know, right, well you can see they're about to do something that might cause them some damage. But maybe question them. Are you sure you want to do that? Yeah. Or even if they've done something and they, you know, they ended up not going quite right. Right. What were, what was you thinking then? What was you going through? And I think it's just going through that reflective process with them as well. And I think at times I've sort of thought to myself, you know, and it's interesting because I've always said to myself, I would never. I still stand firmly by this. I would never coach my kids in a sport. I wouldn't do it. Yeah. Um, because I feel like it's a, it's a it's a completely different uh, ball game, you know, when you're working. Yeah. Because I think you're either going to be too harsh, or you're going to be too nice. I think yeah. It's the right balance. I think it's best to kind of support from a distance. Um, just be that. Be a be a parent. 
don't be a coach on the you know when when it comes to them sort of things. But as, certainly as a parent, I definitely have taken some things from my coaching in terms of you know just working through and trying to really put myself in their shoes because at the end of the day, we we were them once, weren't we? Um, yeah, yeah. Do you find that difficult to like? Um, not not sort of jump in and, and so like we we've got a niece and go for it. I'll try it and then sometimes it's like oh you, you just you find yourself wanting to help when I they're think, struggling to like pick up the fork or something yeah. and you're like no I shouldn't do it <laughs> I think it's very different uh, no matter how close you might be or how or how close you might not be it's very different when it's your own child. Okay. Uh, I think having a niece or nephew or even a friend's child or how, whatever that may be, I think having your own child, I think you'll always have that element of, okay, I can not necessarily get away with a bit more, but I can, I can experiment a bit more here, and I don't like it. Yeah, yeah. and I guess you, you understand the import, you understand the importance of it, don't you? Yeah. And the benefits that will come. Definitely. I mean, yeah, I thought, yeah. I thought, you know, maybe experiment is not the best word, um, but I, I, I can. I can test my parenting out in different ways, shall we put it? Um, yeah. And sometimes, you know... And you say it's impacted your coaching as well? 110%. 110%. Especially, you know, especially for someone who doesn't really work with, you know, similar to you, I, I, I think I'm better suited to working with old, slightly older players. Um, but certainly when I'm working with younger players, I just picture, right, how would I talk to you if you was my daughter or my son? Yeah, okay. Um, so it does make me think about it from things from that perspective and sometimes, right, okay. I think what, what it also does, it, it, you know, now that I think about it, it also allows you to maybe take stock in understanding maybe what a child of a certain age is able or or not able to do realistically. Yeah. Uh, I think sometimes, you know, it, without having that constant exposure, you know, possibly in the form of your own children and whatnot, you might think, okay, well, you're a six-year-old, you should be able to do this by now. Or you're a seven-year-old, you should be able to do this by now. Or on the flip side, why can't you do this? You're already seven years old. But then it's also yeah, yeah. looking at your own child and thinking, okay, well, where are they on the, on, on, on the, in their development pathway? Whether that be, you know, take away from sport, just cognitively, you know, physical components and whatnot. I think there's so many different aspects. You know, and there's certainly things where, I've, you know, my daughter, I've got an eight-month-old son and a six-year-old daughter. Um certainly with my daughter I've tried out different things just to kind of see what impact it would have you know challenging her in different ways you know making a balance in different ways I think certainly what I would do though is at a young age is encourage kids to maybe try different things though um, and I probably would you know coming back to taking it into coaching it's having conversations with parents as well I think when you relate yeah. to your own your own child and you're having those conversations with parents they, they're, they're a lot more receptive um as opposed to if you don't have a child and you say, well, how, how would you, you know, you're not a parent yourself. Well, actually, no, I am. Yeah, yeah that's one thing I was going to say is understanding, not not that you don't appreciate the value of a child, mm. but it, the, the the players you work with, you, sometimes you can forget that is that is someone's whole world right there and all they care about is that one player. Whereas our, our, our role is to care for 16. Yeah. It might give me, I think it will give me a better perspective on, I'm just the individuals even more than what I'm trying definitely. to focus on now because and I think just on that I think one thing it definitely has has taught me is that and I say this from a, you know someone who is quite a late you know I'm, I'm I tend to be the good cop when it comes to my kids <laughs> um, but I'm very I'm, I'm very firm at the same time and I think 
one thing it does it has shown me, and I have really learned about parents since becoming one myself. You know, I'm I'm only twenty twenty nine. You know, I had my first, my daughter was born when I was twenty two. Um, quite young, and I feel like one thing it definitely has taught me is that no parent that was made me realize a while ago that I've never met a parent who has had bad intentions for their for their child. Now, I've met yeah. a lot of parents, and I've come across a lot of parents who've done questionable stuff, uh, questionable things in their behaviors and their words and whatnot. However, what it has taught me is a lot of parents don't know what they should or could be doing to get a better outcome. I mean, nine times out of ten, what happens is you get a parent who acts in a certain way or behaves in a certain way or says certain things because that's what they were exposed to themselves. Um, and I feel like that's definitely helped me in becoming more compassionate and empathetic towards a parent and trying to help them understand some of the intricacies of what we do as coaches. Whereas in the past, oh, man. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited. Definitely. So, I mean, whereas in the past, I probably would have just been, well, I'm the coach or the parent, sort of. <laughs> um, but it's just, you know, certainly, you know, being a parent. And But listen, it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing, definitely. And definitely, you know, you should enjoy it. Um, Get ready for the sleepless night. It's all like, <laughs> right. If, if, if I had a pound for everyone who said that, I could stop working forever. <laughs> well, listen, well, look, definitely look, good luck with that. But, you know, just as we start to wind down, I'm just on a final Thank note, you, mate. Basically. If you had 60 seconds now to package away one golden nugget for our listeners, what would that be? Go back um, to coaching okay. now, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. A bit of a tangent, no, no, no worries, man. Um, 60 seconds. Yeah, I would say if you're just starting out, Get as much eyes on coaches as you can at any level. Go and watch, watch, watch some more, whether that's in person or online. And then ask, constantly ask why. Why are they doing that? Why are they doing that? Why are they doing that? And then go and do it. Just go and experience and and get your hands dirty. And don't be afraid to get things wrong. Uh, Because that's like we're we're all familiar with asking our players to make mistakes and and not be afraid of failure. We have to do that as coaches. And there's sometimes not a problem holding your hands up and saying, do you know what, lads, that, was, that wasn't that was great. That was on me. Let's just change this. Or, like, it doesn't have to be perfect, I think. Definitely. But also also then, as you go through your career, just keep keep under, just keep believing in yourself. Those opportunities will, will hopefully come along. But remember, like I said, remember why you're doing it. Whatever level you're working at, you're there to help and support players and, and see them do well whether it's an under sevens grassroots team or whether you're working at first team level, like great to have dreams, but don't think if you're so busy focusing on the end result, you'll, you'll miss what you're doing in the meantime. So yeah, go out, do loads, enjoy it while you're doing it. And just, just don't be, a, don't be scared of getting it wrong because everyone does. And it's, it make you better for it. Definitely. And I think, you know, the kind of, you know, just want to finish on that one final note. It is about, perseverance keep keep going but I think keep, it's not how many times you get knocked down but it's how many times you can get back up and I think if you can keep that mindset you know every, every step of the way I think even when you, know, you touched on it earlier we know when it hasn't gone, hasn't gone well we know when it's gone well um, as long as we can be open to ourselves in those moments it'll allow us to kind of take stock and build build up appropriately off the back of that but Lee look it's been a fantastic conversation for me um, no, thank you. I appreciate you inviting me on. It's good to catch up, mate. Definitely. Um, 
just on a final note then, Lee, if the question if there is any questions from any of the listeners or they wanted to get in touch with you, if they've got anywhere they can do that. Uh yeah, yeah, I can I'm on Twitter. Uh that's at Coach Garlic, G A R L I C K, so they can jump on there. Or if they want to drop me an email, they're welcome to uh, coachgarlic at hotmail.com. I'm happy to answer anything or or share anything I can. But oh yeah. I appreciate you uh, inviting me on, mate. It's uh, good to catch up and, and talk about talk about football, which is what we love doing, don't we? Definitely. Thank you very much, Glee. Thank you, mate. All the best. Well, there you have it, guys. Another edition of the Coaches Network Insight Series, where we sit down with experienced individuals across the multiple disciplines within the coaching world, hoping to explore their journeys and key insights in order to package away some golden nuggets that you can apply to help you reach your full potential. I've no doubt that you've enjoyed today's episode as much as we have, but I just want to say thanks again for tuning in. The support is much appreciated. Please do get in touch with us and today's guests. Let us know where you're listening from to share your thoughts, views and key takeaways from today's show, along with any suggestions you may have for guests or future topics on the show that you'd like to hear discussed. Ultimately, guys, the show is about yourselves. The content is for you and we just want to continue to create that great content. On that note, Get in touch with us on Instagram at The Coaches Network and on Twitter at The Coaches Net. And if you want to touch base with Coach Ben, he's available on Instagram and Twitter at FocusBXN. Lastly, guys, keep an eye on our socials for the latest updates and announcements for upcoming guests and discussion topics with the panel. And until next time, guys, take care. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.